and welcome to another rousing edition of Trending Topics with BB. I am your humble host, Brooke Brown, hence the BB. Well, we are back for another episode, but I wanted to record an intro for this week's episode due to my lack of intro of last week's uh, episode, as you may have heard. Uh, I do want to remind you that a lot of these episodes are also in video form, as evidenced by last week's episode. It is up on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. you can get all the information on trendingtopicswithbbpodcast.com and search for Trending Topics with BB on YouTube. Or if you are subscribed, you should subscribe actually to twitch.tv slash xaxy15. That's my Twitch channel where you can find these episodes as they're broadcast. So I want to introduce my lovely guest who's a returning guest. You will hear Nicholas Gunn who is known for many accolades in the music industry, but he's a musician, producer, composer, label owner. And this episode gets in deep to three main topics that shows that we need music educators and mentors like him. Uh, so without further ado, I give you my lovely conversation with Nicholas Scott. Well, welcome to a new episode of Trending Topics with BB. Everybody out there who is listening, watching, will watch this We'll listen to this when it's up on just audio. Um, but welcome back, Nick, to my podcast. I really wanted to talk to you again, specifically after, I mean, you're you're heavily, well, we'll get into it in the music industry, but I feel like what you know and your, your knowledge could help those right now after 2020 and into yep. 2021. And we're, we're going to do a little bit different than people are probably used to in my podcast. We're going to actually pinpoint three topics tonight because we know that there's a lot of people who have had questions. They've reached out to Nick, they've reached out to me, and we want to talk specifically about songwriting and then how you can monetize your own artistry. And then we'll talk about Nick's new album. Uh, So welcome back, Nick. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back. Awesome. So just let's just talk about songwriting because I know you're you've been doing a lot. There's a lot of artists that have brag bragging that 2020 was like a songwriting year for yeah. a lot of people. We've seen yeah. new projects even from like top 40 artists like everybody's talking about Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack with Sonic, which I know we're we're more on the electronic side, but talk about how important it is specifically in songwriting and how to, how does an artist who's a little I guess have writer's block, so they say, um, kind of tackle their creativity, especially with the downtime that mm. people have had. Yeah, well, writer's block is <laughs> that's just something that happens, you know. I mean, obviously, I think time and and uh, experience kind of get you over those those kind of um, writer block situations. the The one thing with writer block is trusting yourself is key is I think the mind plays games with you. You think you're in a rut when you're not really in a rut. It's more your head's just playing with you. But we'll get to that in a second. So talking about songwriting, you're right. 2020 was an epic year for songwriters because everyone is in the studio. They're writing tracks, they're producing tracks. And publishing is an all-time high now because of the new Modernization Music Act and streaming mechanicals that are being paid starting January 1st from the stores two artists, two performers, two publishers, two writers. Um, It's all critical stuff in how we move forward in the industry. But there's a few things that have not changed. And I think, um, especially in electronic music, I know that we, I have a lot of uh, dance music 
friends and family and, and fans out there that may be tuning into this is that the song, let's put it this way, all roads lead to Rome. And in Rome is the song. The only thing that matters in the music industry is the song. Right. Everything else supports the song. So when you go into the music industry with that mindset as a songwriter, as a producer, and you focus at the at the top that you need to create an infrastructure that is in the best interest of the songwriting of the song, then you're going to win at this game called music. Um, I think a lot of the times that what happens, especially in electronic music, you have a lot of gamers, you have a lot of kids coming out of the 90s, you have a lot of young producers. Um, they, they there's this perception that the sound design is the most important thing. That do my kick sound great? Great. Do I am I using a preset? I should change that preset, or am, am I creating my own sounds? Am I doing this right? Am I? Yeah, those are those are all critical things. Absolutely, they are. But they're not the most important thing. Um, I like to look at it like a pyramid, and the pyramid is is a good solid foundation. And on this side of the pyramid, you have the top line and the lyric, the melody, whether it's in an instrument or whether it's in a vocal. And on this side of the pyramid, you have the performance, the vocalist performance, the singing, or you know the players. And on the bottom, you have the sound design, the production, which supports these two elements and creates the pyramid. And at the top is the perfect track, is the perfect song. If you take away the top line and the melody or something that makes that song reoccurring, memorable, and beautiful, what is the sound design supporting? What's it polishing? What's it trying to make better? Pretty much nothing. All you have is just a really cool bunch of sounds that sound amazing, but there's no song. So going into today's music industry, I think there's, I think every young producer wonders why they can't get their track signed. And nine times out of 10, it's because there's not enough song. And the focus isn't on writing. And sound design is like getting up and walking in the morning. Um, you do it pretty well when you're younger and you learn how to run and you get really good at it. But it's something that you shouldn't have to think all the time about. It's something you automatically do. I'm a great sound designer. I know what to plug in. I know how to make my track sound amazing. But songwriting takes critical thinking all of the time. You really have to sit down and go deep. You have to be prolific. You have to bring yourself to tears. You have to dig into your relationships. You have to break up again with all the past loves that hurt you so you can write those killer tracks. Um, it takes time. Um, and so, you know, I think if you've got writer's block, looping back to your original question, if you approach songwriting like that, you'll find that writer's block doesn't happen quite as much because I think writer's block happens when you have people that are focusing on the wrong elements of the song. They're wondering why their sound design isn't making the song that doesn't exist sound great. And they claim they have writer's block when actually there's no song. Um, so hopefully I've made sense here. So everything is about the song. Uh, so going forward in today's music industry, when I, when I crawl into the studio each day, that's all that's on my mind. Everything else I just trust. Everything else I trust. Do you, I guess along those lines, do you, since you come from all, I mean, you were 
you studied music, you come from the musician side of things. And myself, I, I fancy know, that. Yeah, right. <laughs> but what what I'm getting at, I guess, if we we bring back to the electronic dance music side of things, yeah. is that there are a lot of people in electronic dance music that don't know music theory. They don't know how to read a music, you know, a piece of music. Um, do you think because they haven't had that formal training, there's there's the, why there's this kind of like idea that oh, I need to focus on the plugins and I need to focus on the software, but not really focus on the songwriting. Well, yeah, absolutely. So they're focusing on their current strength and that's usually in um, sound design and engineering. Um, and they're trying to polish songs that don't exist. And that's why sometimes teams are imperative. Great songwriters match with great producers, great lyricists match with great singers. They all come together to create a great team. Now, if you're a golden unicorn, which means you accomplish all of those tasks quite well by yourself, then you've got to learn that sound design supports the song and you need to be focusing on the music. And so, yes, uh, being well-trained is absolutely going to afford you better choices in the studio. Um, I see this all the time. I mean, uh, knowing your key signatures, knowing, knowing how to play piano, knowing progressions, knowing key changes, knowing how melody works and counterpoint theory and all of those things that really make beautiful music beautiful is the most important thing in songwriting in my opinion and you know i talk in absolutes all the time i sound like everything i say is you know the way it should be but um i always like to think that music industry is like a game of golf it's it's like minimizing mistakes it's not about trying to make it perfect you know, if you're going to win this game, you minimize your mistakes. You don't try to perfect the game. And and that's what this is about. So if you find you your weak spot is music writing because you haven't gone back to school and studied theory, then go back to school and study theory. Because I guarantee you, your choices are going to be far better and you're going to write great songs. Your sound design is going to support great songs. And guess what happens? You start getting the big deals. And I talk to the labels all the time. I, I talk to the big labels all the time about what they're looking for. And I can tell you, it's always, they're looking for a great song. For every hundred sound designers out there, there's five great songwriters. And for every great songwriter that's a great sound designer, there's even fewer. And the labels know it. They have enough sound designers. They have enough people that can make tracks sound great. Trust me, write a great song, watch the deal happen. So at the end of the day, it comes down to music. putting the work in. <laughs> I mean, I, I've struggled personally with, with having background in, in studying music and my brain, I don't understand the idea of digital workstations, audio workstations, because my brain is, when I hear music, when I listen to music, I hear the chord progressions. I hear what I studied. Now, I don't cool. listen to music like I did maybe when I was a kid and didn't really study music. So me personally, I have a hard time with producing music in a like form that's not playing instruments. But I know there are a lot of people that that's their, their gateway into the industry. Yeah. Why, I, and obviously we have the fame and the fortune, but besides that, that, which we've talked about in the previous episodes, why do you think the quality of songwriting 
some may say has gone down in recent years? Our mentors, we don't have many great mentors. You know, you in order to understand excellence, you must observe it. And, and this is why a great education in music allows you to be a wonderful observer. And uh, if we grow up listening to, let's put it this way, there is good music and there is bad music. There is good art and there is bad. Well, let's put it this way. I don't like to say bad art. It's different. It's maybe right. not as well executed. It's not as well refined, right? So there is a difference between those. So that whole idea of, well, music's subjective, art is subjective. Well, yes, it is, but it's only so subjective and it's subjective to your understanding and education within the field. So we lack mentors, we lack great educators. So if you grow up listening to music that is not that well put together, that is not that well orchestrated, not that well produced, not that well written, your idea of good is not as great as it could be. It's what's called mediocrity is pervasive. Um, it becomes pervasive when we when we stop our mentor mentors and our teachers from getting access to to providing education, especially in music. I could go on forever about that and how that works within our society, but I think we've all got a pretty good clue that education sucks for the most part. And it's expensive if you want to try and take it outside of high school. Um, so we need mentors. It, it changes everything. And do you think that's why, well, maybe it's just because of advertising, but we've seen a lot of recent type of master class um, artists. Those are great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, become so popular mm. because people are realizing that those that have been successful do offer some sort of wisdom and mentorship. Obviously not everybody can afford maybe a masterclass, but I guess my thing is, is I'm also a proponent, you know, this. I'm a proponent of keeping music in schools and cause that's where Absolutely. I started. And the fact, started. That yeah, the fact that there's just such a war against, <laughs> in my opinion, <laughs> keeping <laughs> an instrument in a in a kid's hands that kept me out of trouble as a kid i mean yeah in high school i stayed in band i mean that was the thing that kept me, me from getting into drugs and all kinds of stuff so yep if if it i guess my point is is that it until people find the value in songwriting and realize that they can produce good music or that there is somebody they can learn from what what do you think to those that are up and coming now that are just discouraged in their songwriting and think that, you know, well, if I don't get this track signed or if I don't, I don't know, get discovered on TikTok or whatever it is that they mm -hmm. may not continue. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. Well, look, I mean, you have to look at the realities of the music business, too. Um, I was watching Shark Tank. I think I mentioned to this this to you before where Mark Cuban was listening to a pitch from from one of you know the people that were pitching their business. And the guy said, you know, hey, I got one of the most, I got one of the most challenging businesses in the world. And Mark Cuban stands up and goes, oh no, 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 no. He goes, no, you don't. The toughest business in the world is the music business. And I, I'm in my living room going, you know, because- <laughs> Yeah, it, I think I've seen that episode. Yeah, and, and so it's absolutely true. So I say to everyone that's about to embark upon the business of music is to, obviously learn the business inside out. I think we'll discuss that next. But um, 
Uh, it's absolutely true. It takes an incredibly thick skin and it takes years to establish yourself. Um, it's not an easy road. So if you're in it for the money, get out. Um, if you're, well, it may kill you otherwise, because, you know, it's just, it's just not a good business to be in. If you're looking for, for funds, if you're looking for money, I, the, the percentage of musicians and producers that are succeeding on, on a real high financial level, are very, very small. Um, that starts to happen over decades when you build great bodies of work and, you know, you got to stay in the game for a long time before you start to see the rewards, unless you're an overnight success, unless you have a smash hit, but even that's fleeting and you, you'll watch that dry up pretty fast as well. Awesome. I do have a question from somebody watching. Yeah. Um, so they they're asking greg helmsetter out there on facebook is asking what do you think about scientific data driven processes for producing hits as described in song machine inside the hit factory like using algorithms outsourcing or writing hooks for specialists that's about as um uninteresting to me as trying to create a song from from sound design it, it, there is no algorithm that's going to tap the human emotion effectively and fully um, and try, do the work. It's a beautiful thing. Um, there's no there's no fast track to writing great songs. There are formulas. And I think that those algorithms try to find formulas. And all they're doing is is they're counting measures. They're counting measures on verses, counting measures on choruses, counting measures on pre-choruses and then timing the track to three minutes, 30 seconds. That's a single. We we had all the right peaks and valleys. Therefore, that fits within our little our little thing. Um, I think you can look at that as being okay. I need to follow that guide. Or I need to create a song that's three minutes and thirty seconds long. Um, I need a verse. I need a pre-chorus. I need I need a hook. Um, then I go back to my second verse and so forth, so forth. But um, but dig in. Learn the piano. Learn the guitar learn music, learn an instrument, then apply that knowledge and your theory, taking the time to do the work to your own productions and learn how to produce, then learn the sound design and put it all together. If you don't have the time, if you don't have the willingness to do that yourself, then find partners that are gonna step in and do that for you. The thing is the music industry is about the path of least resistance because there is resistance all the way throughout the entire music industry. So we're constantly trying to minimize our mistakes. We're trying to find our weak spots and fill them in. We all have them. Um, so the ones that succeed in the music business um, are looking to fill in the weak spots and they do it fast, they do it effectively. They know what they are because they're real with themselves and they're very objective. They say, I'm not very good at this. I'm not very good at this. Therefore, I need to find a partner here and I need to find a partner here. Um, but algorithms and stuff like that, it reminds me of just, you know, all the sound design stuff. I think you just have to be very careful and realize that that stuff doesn't make great songs. Humans make great songs. Studying music makes great songs and talent. True. So, yeah, there was a, there's a comment for somebody on Twitch at, saying that there's also like a book that screenwriters have. There should be like a music version, but there, I feel like there is a bunch of, books that are like a how-to in music 
but there's more to it than that. It's like, it's having these conversations. It's reaching out to people yeah. like yourself that yeah. can, or studying music um, that can help. I mean, there's a lot of resources online now of learning the basics yeah. in music. YouTube. You, yeah. you can learn a lot on YouTube. It's just about it. Look, the people, people are fundamentally, they focus on what they're already good at. If they're not good at music theory, it's daunting. Why do I want to leap into that when I'm already creating really cool tracks that sound good? They may not necessarily be great songs. So the idea here, there's a little bit of a mind game going on. And you think, well, I'm writing, I'm, my tracks sound great, but there's really no song structure. They stay away from learning how to do that because it's daunting. But like you said, there's YouTube tutorials, there's accessibility now online with master classes. And I do want to bring up one thing. Um, kind of going back to to what's important with the song, and we've got 70 years approximately now of recorded history with regards to recorded music. And the one thing that is has always rung true is that the fans will always be forgiving of production flaws, but they will rarely be forgiving of a bad song. Um, and that's how the whole independent music scene was born. Um, so whole indie music is born out of grunge, man. It's born out of, you know, it's not perfect, but the songs are great. The songs are great. It drives the genre. And the music industry is the same from genre to genre to genre. It's all about the song. That's all I got to say. So on that note, then you you do create what you think is like a great song that you want to shop to a label. And then it does get signed. So how are we going to – let's talk about monetization. Because we were talking about in pre-show how people aren't specifically – going after the avenues to make the money that they can. And a lot of people just think they don't want to go to a publisher. They don't understand music licensing and publishing. So can you explain to people, I know we've had our conversations off air, but explain to people maybe who are not aware of how you can monetize your art. So you have to understand where the most money is being made in the music industry. You sort of got to start with that and you got to chase that. I mean, that's if, you, if you're looking to quit your day job and you want to become a full-time recording artist or a musician. So the number one obvious revenue stream is touring. That's self-explanatory. If the promoter wants you on the stage, if the venue wants you on the stage and, you, and, you, and your, your price is being paid, then obviously you're making money. Um, the more successful your recorded works are, the more successful your artistry is, perhaps maybe the more successful your tours are. Um, they usually go hand in hand. So touring is kind of self-explanatory. I don't think we need to go into why that's a money maker, right? No, I think we but, all see that. But but touring is not passive income. And passive income in the music business is goal number one, because we all want to make money while we're sleeping in royalties, in publishing, in writing. And how do we chase it? Where do we go? And how do we get set up? Well, Newsflash, if you're a musician and you're getting into the music business, and if you say to somebody, oh, I'm just an artist, I, I, don't, I can't stand the, the business side, that's the, that's the worst point of view you could ever have. It's like getting into any business. Why would you get into any kind of business without fully understanding how you're going to make money and every angle of that business? So throw the idea of I'm just an artist and I'm not going to learn about the business to one side. 
you have to learn more about the business than you do about you creating tracks. Creating tracks is 30 to 40% of the work. The rest is understanding the business and monetizing it. And as soon as you get that, it will change your life. The way to do that is, is to understand the main revenue streams. You got the touring, and then next we have publishing. Um, so, and also control of assets. So when you start writing music, there's two parts of the copyright. There's the intellectual property, and then there's the master property. They go hand in hand. And I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Intellectual property is the composition, the writers, the lyricists, um, et cetera. And then the master property is actually the physical recorded work embodying the intellectual property. They go together, okay? Now, when an artist signs, let's say for example, a big label, big dance label, Black Hole, Amada, one of those big, or even a major, um, nine times out of 10, that deal sort of reads like this. I'll take your master property in perpetuity, which means for a lifetime, and I'll give you a royalty, a set percentage for every sale and stream for that right, for you know, for your artistry to be on the label. Um, those deals are fundamentally very difficult to maintain as far as being profitable because they provide very, very little revenue. Um, and let's face it, Spotify um, and all the other streaming stores pay between 0.004 and 006 cents per stream. So you're looking approximately about four to five grand per million streams. Um, the new mechanical uh, royalty, what's called the mechanical um, mechanical stream, is 0 0.0006 cents per stream. Um, that's payable to the publishers, to the writers. Um, we'll go over that in a second. But um, so there's not a lot of money being made in streaming, and so the streaming stores are almost like a calling card to your artistry and all of these things matter. So going to a big label gets you on all those, all those stores. It gets you on Spotify, it gets you on Apple, it gets you on Pandora, it gets you to all the places you need to be, but you're not going to make a lot of money unless your artistry is blowing up and you're on tour, you're making revenues from tour. So if you're a writer, then obviously you want to register those works with a publisher or with a society directly, and societies are ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC in the United States, performing rights organizations. And what they do is, is they monitor all of the performance play from radio and TV broadcast, et cetera, of the intellectual property on the master recording. And whoever's registered to that work, they pay a certain set license rate that has been set forth by the industry. Are we following? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love this in, inside baseball, yeah. but I don't know anybody yeah, out there watching or listening. Everyone else is just going, I've already lost myself. But the music industry is insanely difficult to understand. This is not easy. So we're gonna get to the, the big money makers. So I'm just trying to give you a ground, like a foundation of why these are going to be the big money makers. So when you're looking at writing a piece of music, you got a, you got your finger in that pie. That's cool. Okay, so when you sign over a master to a record label, you're not going to get any master rights. You're not going to get any royalty income from those masters because you've given it away. So controlling your assets is important. Setting up your own record label, if you can, if you know the business well, 
gives you the best revenue stream because you're controlling all your assets. You're controlling your master, you're controlling your publishing and your writing, and you're collecting all that money yourself. Um, even if it's not dimes and nickels over time from the big streaming stores, it does add up over a certain amount of records. But there's other mechanisms that people don't look at that pay a tremendous dividend. And one of those is non-terrestrial radio, for example, Sirius XM, music choice. Hitting those stores is key for revenue. If you get a track added to rotation at a, on a station at Sirius XM, the dividend is 10 to 30 times higher than a stream. So wow. it's, yeah, it's because they have a B2B relationship. They don't have a B2C. They don't have a business to consumer relationship like Spotify. Sirius XM have a business to business relationship. They have car dealerships. They have homes. They have all of these relationships where they have subscribers, about 40 million of them. So if I was going to be an artist in today's market and I was just starting out and I had a little bit of a budget, the first thing I would do, screw the Spotify playlists. I want to pay attention to it. I want to make sure my stuff is up there. I want to make sure that everyone is looking at my Spotify and being able to get my tracks from Spotify and from Apple. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to put my money on finding somebody who can promote my content to the programmers at SiriusXM and Music Choice and non-terrestrial radio because they pay massive dividends. They will keep artists in, biz in business. They really will. And it's a little known fact. Um, so chasing those, that stream in particular is, is really beneficial. Um, you, you had a question, I think? Yeah, well, I guess what I was gonna get to is that, <laughs> I guess my personal, I, have, I, I don't think about non-terrestrial radio as much as I used to because I, I do stream a lot. I do buy music myself. So I guess for those artists that are thinking, oh, I just need to just crank as many tracks out on Spotify or Apple or Amazon no. or wherever. I guess why is there so much misinformation or misdirection towards you know, the statistics that maybe people might read an article on Billboard or Rolling Stone and think that that's the avenue to take when it, they should look into all avenues. Well, because we don't have mentors. Nobody's teaching people. I, how many people are watching today that have been told that, that non-terrestrial radio pays the greatest dividends for ads to rotation? I guarantee you nobody's heard that because they've not experienced it because they've not been in the position to get an ad to rotation. They haven't seen the revenue stream. And subsequent to that, they haven't registered their works. So they're not receiving the income from the appropriate society that pays, that, that SiriusXM pays. So when you step into releasing material, you have to make sure that you are registered with ASCAP, BMI, or CSAC, and also what's called the neighboring rights societies. In the United States, we have sound exchange. Neighboring rights means that they pay a royalty that the person that owns the master, not the intellectual property, but the master. And that's why it's called neighboring rights. And they also pay a royalty to the artist that is appearing on that master. So you have two royalty streams, one that's getting paid to the intellectual property owner via normal PROs, ASCAP, BMI, or CSAC. And then you have neighboring rights. 
which is another royalty stream getting paid to the master owner and the artist associated with the master. It's confusing as hell, but if you're registered with SoundExchange and if you're registered with ASCAP or BMILCSAC, you have to choose one, you're gonna get that revenue stream from SiriusXM when they add your track to rotation. And let me tell you, when they add a track to rotation, you're making a lot of money. So you know how, there's billions of dollars that go into black boxes. It's called the black box. Billions of uncollected revenue that go into black boxes every year. And it, it disappears after three years. So we have a question from a viewer. So if you create your own label, will non-terrestrial and streaming platforms work with you even if it's a tiny label? Yeah, so look, here's the thing. It's So it's a great question. And, and it's a frustrating question because how in the heck do you get to a programmer on SiriusXM? Um, but here's the thing, it, it's tough. You have to find a promoter who knows a programmer. You can send it in via mail. SiriusXM have open submissions. You can send it in and keep your fingers crossed. But you got to do your work. You got to go network. You have to figure out what companies you can hire that actually promote your music to those programmers so you can get it in their hands. You know, if you're in dance, uh, promo only is one of them. Um, I know that Carrie Vance does a lot of that stuff. Um, George Hess used to do it independently before he, he went in house with Amada. Um, but uh, you know, there's all kinds of there's all kinds of ways, and there's all kinds of promotion companies you can tap, and you can even try to establish a relationship directly with that promoter of that channel. And here's the here's the irony of it. So we we get frustrated because we think, well, I can't do that because I'm never going to get added to rotation. But you'll spend the next five years paying useless playlists, and trust me, those playlists on Spotify are extraordinarily transient that your song is buried. It's good. You're getting a stream. You're getting money. It's all important. You have to cover it all. But the Spotify, I'm using Spotify because it's the largest store. Um, spot The Spotify play or stream is the most transient play out there because it's usually generated by a playlist. Um, rarely uh, does somebody say, ooh, I got to check that artist out again. If they do, you'll see a save to, to um their catalog or you'll, you'll see an ad. But um, the bottom line is, is it's extremely transient, but you'll spend thousands of dollars and so many months continually promoting tracks there because it, it aggrandizes you. Oh, look how many monthly listeners I have. Look how many streams I have. And it provides nothing in return for your career, almost nil. So you really have to, you really have to focus towards, towards non-terrestrial radio, in my opinion, as a big win for an artist. And even terrestrial radio, FM radio, the FM's alive and well. There's a lot of great syndicated shows that would still love to play your music. National Public Radio. There's a killer, killer um, um, syndicated show in Ambient called Echoes. It's been around for 30 years. Um, you just got to learn who's playing music, how to collect on the performance royalties, and just go after it. You got to be patient. You really do. So I guess for those that are, that are watching, we have quite a bit, few people watching actually. Uh, so thank you for watching everybody um, or listening. So I guess in terms of like pop culture and in a lot of, you know, there's a lot of music documentaries out now and a lot of like books and autobiographical and you name it. 
where there's this there's this thought that oh you have to get like like a whole team of people like uh, like a manager or whatever and then they're going to get you signed to a bad deal and then a bad deal <laughs> is going to yeah. you know not apply and you're not going to get the rights or all your publishing mo- you know money to yeah. you i think there's this this bad stigma from pop culture movies tv and without people actually even Googling how publishing works and how licensing works, because I'm sure a lot of people listening or will listen to this will be like, Oh, that's how this works. Because people don't know. Like there's no, it's, it's difficult. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tricky. This is not easy. No one ever said this was going to be easy and it's certainly not easy. So, but you have to apply yourself. The ones who are going to win in this game, apply themselves. Um, if you don't apply themselves, get out. That look, I, I am the, I am a very, when it comes to people, I love people and I, and I love connections and I love my music and I love writing about my life experiences. But when it comes to the pragmatics of the music business, I have very little patience for those who do not want to apply themselves, especially the artists that somehow think they're above it. They're, they're going to fail at, at staying in the business and having a long sustainable career. Um, it's almost guaranteed. I've been 28 years in this business and it's quite easy to see the formula. The ones that apply themselves and learn everything they can possibly do about the music business are the ones that survive. The ones that realize that this music industry is about writing songs, those are the ones that survive. See how this is coming together? There are no shortcuts here. There are no shortcuts. So we've we've talked extensively about electronic dance music and there seems to be this and we've even talked about in the previous episodes that you've been on this podcast about the stigmas and the the difference between partnering up with sound engineers and getting help or asking somebody to write something like a ghost producer and then taking credit for it can you talk a little bit about the difference because i think there's this overarching thinking that if they reach out to somebody else or if it's not a duo or whatever it is, it's some sort of, oh, somebody's producing this for somebody else. I mean, there was like controversy last year about Tiesto and his new alias and if it was really him. And it's like, <laughs> why does that matter? We were all listening to it, right? Like, <laughs> like yeah, I mean, look, I mean, <laughs> these guys are successful. They're, they're smart people. Um, they're usually surrounded by incredible teams. Um, they know exactly what they're doing. Um, nine times out of 10, if they're in the business on the level that they are, is they know the business inside out. Um, so like going back to the whole manager thing, um, what is a manager's role? For example, a manager is somebody that manages your affairs when you no longer can. It's not somebody that comes in and says, I'm going to take the responsibility of you learning the business. No, that's not a manager. A manager takes your career when you can no longer manage it yourself because you do not have the time. That's what a manager is. And when a manager is really effective on that level, they're highly sought after, they're powerful, they're well-informed, they're industry pros, and they're not looking, they rarely look at undiscovered artists with no revenue because there's no revenue. There are some managers that do look for new talent and they want to develop them. And that's, that's absolutely true. I'm not saying that, you know, that's, it's not the case, but what's, what's more important is you manage yourself. You learn the business, just learn the business. 
the reason why I'm so passionate about this, and I feel like I'm going to jump out of my pants, is because for 28 years, I've just heard the nonsense over and over again about how people just don't want to learn the business. Can you imagine starting another type of business and you only want to learn one little part of it because you're too good for the rest of it? How, <laughs> for some reason in the music business, we feel that because we're artists, you know, that we're exempt. <laughs> Right. It's, just, it's ludicrous. It's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Well, could it also be, do, I mean, I'm sure social media and, and the explosion of maybe certain artists or the viral ability that we've seen because of the internet hasn't helped people realize that, that or having like shows like The Voice or American Idol or whatever, it whatever's the popular one right now, to think that there's like a fast track to stardom. Um, and, and realize that that's actually one in a million chance or a specific chance that actually is making other people more money than the artist, yeah. uh, which is, which is why I've never really liked the whole American Idol voice kind of situation, because I know there's plenty of really talented people out there that just don't get the chance, yeah. but you know, uh, we do have another question. Like to, I was kind of going to ask this too, is why do you think that there's such an emphasis on that fast track to overnight success when <laughs> at the end of the day, I mean, there's, if we think about it, some of the overnight success of the last top last five years, in, in my humble opinion, is not really good quality music, which is why I search for music, but that's just me personally. Yes, but, but I, I have an answer to okay. why we think so before i forget cause sometimes i ramble and i forget the actual question <laughs> so, so i'll interrupt you so the the answering that question directly about why we think um you know this immediate we should be immediately gratified with success being in the music business it's because it's a psychology thing it's because we rarely follow artists that are huge from the beginning of their career it's like no one got up and put on their famous pants they had a long road to success and you were not there when they had that road in the beginning. You were only there at the end when they became huge. So what you saw was their stardom, was them blowing up nine times out of 10. Obviously there's a lot of artists you follow from the beginning and you get so proud because I followed that artist and they were no one, you know? But most people latch on to artists once they become big and they don't get to experience three quarters of their career of suffering. <laughs> Trust yeah. me, it's suffering. It is suffering, but we don't get to see that. We don't, it's not interesting for us. We just want to see, we just want to see the the champagne and, and the fun times and the parties, you know, the, the suffering's boring to most people because they don't want to deal with it. Right. I mean, I was, I was, I picked up a uh, collector's edition, there's a magazine dedicated to Prince because coming up, it'll be his five years since Prince died. And I was reading an article and people forget that like Prince started so young in the local music scene of Minneapolis in the seventies. Yeah. He didn't make it big. People didn't know who Prince was until the eighties. Yeah. And that's when he blew up. But like people, when, when we're looking thinking about Prince, we think about Prince from the eighties. We don't remember the times that like he, he was, you know, building and, and had to get his big break and the same with yeah. a lot of artists. So it's just interesting to me how there's been this 
like proponent of people thinking that they can just start today and then in a couple months be well known. I mean, with social media, maybe, but like, are you going to make, I mean, as you talked about, if they don't register their, their work, they're not yeah. going to get credit or but, money from what they've done. Right. Right. So there's one overarching kind of, you know, point to take from this podcast and that is the path of least resistance. You choose to learn about the business. You choose to register your works. You choose to chase the revenue streams that matter the most. Get away from the aggrandizing platforms. Pay attention to them, focus on them, but don't invest a lot of time and a lot of money. Focus on the ones that are gonna bring you the money. And that is educating yourself, registering your works, owning your content. So if you do have a record label, um, it is important you try to find a budget because nothing is free in life. And it's difficult asking for favors as a record label. Artists can ask for favors all day long because I'm an artist, I need a favor. But as a record label, you really kind of want to participate the, in what's called services rendered. And there are promoters and there are people in the music business that are not famous that require dollars in order to survive. And that's part of the secular thing we call the music business. And so when you get into the music business as a record label, so you can control your content, profit from your masters by registering them with neighboring rights societies, profiting from the PROs by registering your compositions with performing rights societies, owning all that content, distributing all that content through a distributor and then collecting on it is the most important road. Then you leverage all of that by working with larger labels. If a big label comes along and says, hey, I want that one particular single, then maybe that's a good idea because all of a sudden you've you've unloaded something on a label that's going to give you perhaps more exposure than your own label. You're making more money from your own label, but you're getting more exposure as an artist over there. It's called leveraging. You have to learn to leverage these relationships. So to be non-exclusive is critical in leveraging. If you end up being exclusive with a label, then you've lost the ability to release on your own label. So you kind of, you know, leverage your way up in the industry and you use relationships to your benefit. Uh, use is a bad way, bad word, excuse me. I would say you um, you benefit from that relationship in the right way. Cool. So I do want to talk about your new album because I've listened to it. Oh yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that in a second, but we do have some questions from people watching. Sure. Um, so I we kind of already addressed this, but uh, I guess Greg was asking, what is the best way for an outside I guess, person to learn the business. And we've kind of talked about that there's tutorials, there's master classes, there's podcasts, I guess, like this, where you listen and you learn. You can reach out to people such as yourself. I have, obviously, because we've known each other for a few years now. It's the best question. It's the best question to ask. Um, Yeah, so uh, what do you suggest about... I I always hmm. recommend a book called This Business Called Music. Um, I think that's the name of it. It's in, it's like, I don't know how many um, editions it's, it's now had, but they update it every year. Uh, it's extreme. It's like the Bible. It's considered the Bible of the music industry as far as business is concerned. It'll teach you everything from publishing to master rights to IP, intellectual property. Um, it'll teach you the revenue streams. And by the way, on the subject of revenue streams, let's not discount sync, um, which means synchronization to film and TV of your pre-existing works. That's a huge moneymaker. 
put that in the pile with going to non-terrestrial radio. Those are the things you can make a lot of money on. That's a nice side note right there. Um, but learning about the business is tricky because there's very few people that know a lot about every side of the music business very, very well. So um, reading books, finding a mentor, gosh, I don't know how that happens these days because they're far and few between or finding somebody you can rub shoulders with that's really well-versed. That's a lot of, lot of experience on both sides of the fence. Uh, but this business called music, I highly recommend that. Start there. Awesome. And then um, is artist producer going straight to the consumer or, or customer in terms of building an email list or newsletter or something like that helpful in monetizing, you know, your music? No, that's, that's a good one. I think the pe people are on the fence about that because um, it depends on how authentic that list is. If you built it over time um, with the right uh, fan base. Um, I don't use uh, those lists myself. I rely on social media these days um, to reach a fan base. And I think those fans are more apt to interact on social media. Um, but I do think that they're important. I think everything is important in the music industry. It's spread so thin. It's spread so thin. You have to cover it all. You really do. Uh, we've talked about the big money makers, but that's not the discount. You have to pay attention to everything. So somebody was going to ask me, should I do this? I always say yes. Well, why not? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, because we're going to talk about your, your brand new album's sound condition, um, yeah. there's also a question and also something that I talked about on my on the ab episode last week and how there's this, like this new thing that was underground and is now pretty popular in this day and age, what it, do you have any thoughts on the whole NFT, the non-fungible token selling your album or reselling an album version um, that is basically, I guess I feel like it's only made really famous people a lot, a lot of money. I don't know a lot of people who are making a lot of money from it, but. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know much about it and I wouldn't have much commentary on it. Okay. Yeah, because it's one of those things where it's like either somebody really loves the idea and then a, there's a lot to take about for people that aren't doing it. Um, but I just thought I it's if, how if, there's if so it, much articles about I it. I think if it, if it fills a spot that's missing in the music industry, then maybe it will be successful. You know, um, I, 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 I try to keep my nose to the grindstone with regards to the things that I focus on that are making me money. And that's what I've become really good at. Um, some things I'm not even aware of in the music industry because I'm just not focused on them. Um, and it's because I've learned to be productive. I only have so many hours in a day to get out, write great music, support my family and keep in this damn game. Um, and you know, I'm very aggressive that way. I, I have to be. And I think, I think hopefully the viewers see that my persona online and in my music is very calming and very, um, very, spiritual but the side of me that uh, approaches my passion for music and the music business is aggressive it has to be because um this industry will beat you up and i so i keep my nose to the grindstone i only focus on what i have to focus on because i only have so many hours in the day well said all right so let's talk about the album we've alluded to it um you mentioned something in the last year and i think we all can attest i mean i've 
obviously been a fan of your work for a while, but you, I, you did post something about how you saw an increase. Well, in specifically in ambient music in the last year, everybody needed some Zen, some calming, <laughs> relaxing yeah, yeah. music for the stress that was 2020. Yeah. But this album, I mean, I, I listened to it a couple times this week. It kept me from blowing up with my day job. Um, oh, so cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can you talk about sound condition? And I know we've, we've talked about your previous last two albums. I mean, we've talked on this podcast a couple of times. So mm -hmm. talk about you. Uh, you really featured a lot of your flute. Infant, you know, you're, you're, you play the flute and yeah. a lot of the sounds that you brought in were just so like, they were calming, but it wasn't like, some people would, would think that, you know, oh, ambient music, it's, it's one way, but talk about the influences and, and you also have some like remixes of tracks coming up and in different genres. Yeah. So talk about just the building of this album, because it's a great 10 track album. Thank you. Well, I am a flautist. I was, I studied at the Royal Academy when I was six through 11 crazy young formal education in music when I was super tiny. It was great. So, but that was on the flute. Um, so I kind of took a couple of albums off from that. Um, and especially when I started introducing vocal tracks and uh, writing lyrics and working with vocalists. And then on this last record, I, I kind of gravitated back to it because um, I don't know, 2020 sounded to me like it needed some healing. <laughs> and so, and so when, when, I, when I stepped into the record, I, I had this beautiful big bamboo flute. It's huge. It's, um, hold on, it's right here. It's this guy right here. It's this guy right here that I play on the album. Yes. Right, so it's that one. I may lose you on the headphones. I'll go to the device otherwise. Um, oh no. He'll be back, y'all. Uh, thanks for tuning in. <laughs> Uh, sometimes when you bring in a different uh, set of sound, the restream here has to recalibrate the sound. Um, but uh, thanks to everybody that has been watching and, and commenting and putting in your questions for this episode. Um, we'll get Nick back up one second. I'm back. We're back. Awesome. I'm back. Sorry, my pods died. No worries. <laughs> Um, yeah, 2020 needed some healing, you know, it was just like, um, I thought I'd dig back into some of those sounds that, that I started with in my instrumental career. And it was cool to do that because it kind of healed me at the same time. And but it's progressive, right? It's not like s classic spa music. I use it progressively. I use it with some lot of trance textures, some ambient trance stuff, which is really cool. And I'll announce on this episode so broken is just got a remix by go uh, giuseppe ottaviani is coming out on our mind on august 6 so that's going to be a big track and then yeah, scores awesome. a huge remix in 
trust me, it's amazing. Uh, and also, um, Scores just remixed um, Angels, and that's coming out on Amada as well. So we're lining up the remixes beautifully throughout the summer. And then I got so many cool things coming up. It's, this year has been great for me. I have to, I have to say, January 2020 was good for me because I was spending so much time in the music. But then when in the studio, but when January 1st hit, I, I started kind of like running. And um, there's there's some massive surprises coming up uh, that I can't talk about. I wish I could. I'm dying to, but um, I can't. But it's gonna be it's gonna be great. But um, that record sound condition with that whole therapeutic kind of three songs, flute based using the bamboo flute, but progressive. I just thought it was just time to kind of do something more reflective and more centered around the experience we all had in 2020. It just seemed like the right thing to do. So. Right. I mean, I don't, I've always loved music that calms. <laughs> Um, but that, that's because I have my own issues, but, um, you mentioned like, I, I want to kind of circle back to, I, obviously we had the year we had in 2020, but I feel like there was a lot of people discovering ambient and discovering chill music. And now when yeah. you listen to a lot of the extreme DJs, everything's really like low BPM chill deep i mean i even tried my hand streaming smooth jazz i mean um it's just <laughs> it's because i'm like i love smooth jazz i grew up on it oh it's um, great. hey why not yeah so can you kind of do you have an idea of why there's kind of been this uh, obviously people needed calming vibes but other than it didn't seem before 2020 that people were really looking for that genre in specific. I mean, it yeah, seemed more neat. I actually, thought, I actually thought it was heading that way in all honesty. I think before COVID hit uh, in dance, melodic techno and melodic house was already making, making a comeback. Um, well, not a comeback, but making itself known, I should say. Um, so the temperature was coming down and the BPMs were down. Um, and so, it's actually a really interesting point on what's coming up for me. So because that's come down here and my my Nicholas Gunn sound is coming up, I'm kind of meeting him somewhere halfway. And that's some of the surprises that are coming out later in collaborations and in writing. Um, so there's some really cool stuff coming up. So yeah, I think it was going that way prior to 2020. I think COVID just closed the clubs. It closed the festivals. So the club music made you know it was it's been a hard hard year club music is dead um it's it's in comparison to what it was prior so it was it was having clubs were having a tricky time we all know that so the club scene was having a difficult time the festivals were booming um so was the club scene destroyed by covid and will it revive and is this new sound going to stay um, I think that it's going to level off a bit, but I think there's some permanence to this. I like it though, because I felt like there was a few years there where everything was getting, was more about the BPMs than it was making a song. And I mean, it's, I guess it's whoever's cup of tea, but I just felt like there was this emphasis on like, oh, if we can do crank these beats out in dance music, it's yeah. going to keep people 
coming to this festival or coming to this club, but being a person that went to festivals and went to clubs prior to COVID, uh, I was starting to see that people were getting a little bit sick of like the idea of like, oh, we have to constantly just be like in this, like, we're going, we're going. It really, it's not an yeah. escape. You go to, if you go to party, you kind of want an escape, but it didn't seem like an escape because it kind of seemed like the music was like, oh, I, like you need to be on a treadmill kind of a situation. Um, yeah. I, I think that there's fans for every genre and I think there's the diehard sector. Um, I, I, the club scene was just having a difficult time. I think the younger generations prefer the festivals. I think it's also just a matter of preference. And, you know, the club music is very different from festival music. We know that. You see a lot of mashups at festivals. You see a different kind of lineup. It's a different experience. It's it's just a whole different thing, right? Um, I, I mean, I like to go to a club once in a while. Um, when, I young, when I was younger, I used to go all the time. Um, but I just don't see when i when i was the age when i was going to clubs i don't see that with with kids these days i just don't see it they're just not clubbers they just don't go there yeah so that's changed so if that changes then that that affects the club scene then the, the music that's played in the club scene so i think i think that is a direct result awesome well we're all out of time that went by really quickly um Thank you, Nick, for joining me again. And I, I thank you to all of you that have been listening or will listen or watch this and your questions and, and comments. Um, and hopefully Nick uh, explains some stuff about the business that you may not have known. I learned more from you than probably a lot. Yeah. Every I, mean, time I want to cover food. so much. I always want yeah. to cover so much. And it's just impossible. So you just kind of got to push on that main point of, you know, certain things you know right so everybody out here this will be available on replay for, on facebook twitch and youtube the audio will be up soon uh past this weekend so if you want to replay this as many times to learn uh feel free and all of the links that we talked about to uh, nick's album sound condition as well as his website and all that good stuff will be in the episode description so thank you nick for joining me again yeah you're more than welcome thanks for having me brooke it's always a pleasure thank you all right take care you guys